Let's pray. Oh God, what child is this? This child that now an entire planet recognizes but doesn't know. Get the story out. We humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 1895, an American writer named Henry Van Dyke Jr. wrote a book. It ended up being a classic. I don't know if you've heard of it. The Other Wise Man. Tradition says there were three wise men. It's because of the three gifts. So he writes of a fourth wise man. He gives him a name, Artaban. And Artaban was was standing beneath the midnight heavens when that mysterious star exploded into existence. His three friends living far away also witnessed the birth of the star. They communicate, we'll go together to find the child king portented by the star. Artaban starts out with his little casket, his treasure chest of his three gifts, a sapphire, a ruby, and a pearl of great price. But as he is, with his steed, racing to the point of rendezvous, he comes across a man dying at the side of the road. He, he, he alights, he, he jumps down, ministers to the man, and by the time he gets back up on that st- onto that horse and arrives at the rendezvous point, they're gone. They thought he wasn't coming. They went. And now all he has is a horse, and you can't cross the desert with a horse. And so with one of his treasures, he purchases a camel caravan, and they ride the caravan and he. But when he arrives in Bethlehem, of course, his three magi friends are gone, and the parents with the child, they're gone as well. He races to Egypt, hoping to find the baby there. They're gone from Egypt. He goes to country after country after country. And the story, as Van Dyke tells it, is about him all along the way with his compassion and his care, finding people in need and caring for them. Thirty-three years go by, and on a sunny morning, he comes riding into Jerusalem. Unbeknown to him, this is the day of Jesus' crucifixion. As he's moving down an alleyway of Jerusalem, he sees a young girl being sold as a slave. He steps up. He pulls out his last treasure, a pearl of great price. He buys her freedom. As she turns away, he turns down the alley, and a loose roof tile tumbles through the air, strikes him in the head. He's on the ground and dying. This man who has spent his life looking for the Christ child. But before he dies, he hears a voice And the voice speaks these words, Verily I say unto thee, Inasmuch as thou hast done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, thou hast done it unto me. And there, in calm radiance of wonder and love, Audubon dies, realizing he has found the king. So here's the question. Maybe you're the other, maybe you're the other wise man. Maybe you're the other wise woman. Have you found the king? I want to go to the story of these three. We say three because there are three gifts. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 2. This is the real story. It doesn't really matter how many wise men there were. The truth of the matter is that these three gifts are what will preoccupy us this this beautiful Advent season. Gift today, a gift next Sabbath, and then just before Christmas, the third gift. Matthew chapter 2. So you're finding it in your, your Bible. I'll be in the NIV. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? 
We saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. You know what? You can't help but admire these, these pagan strangers driven across countless miles of sand, seeking, searching, following. Reminds me of the words of Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician you remember and philosopher. His words on the screen. If you are searching for God, then you have found him. Boy, I like that. Apparently, the journey is the reward. In seeking for God, you have begun finding him. Verse 1 again, and after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. James A.K. Smith is a philosopher. He teaches up the road in Grand Rapids, Calvin College and Seminary. Just a few days ago, I got a hold of his three-volume set on culture and worldview. I'm reading volume one. It's called Desiring the Kingdom. And in the book, he describes what we're all driven for, the human race. I put his words, Smith's words, on the screen. This is just to say, what is it we're seeking for? This is just to say that to be human is to desire the kingdom, some version of the kingdom. Look, we don't all look for the same kingdom, but we're all in search of a kingdom. What's he talking about? This is just to say that to be human is to desire the kingdom, some version of the kingdom, which is the aim of our quest. Every one of us is on a kind of Arthurian. You remember King Arthur and the, uh, the, the Knights of the Round Table? You remember that legend? They're looking for the chalice. They believe that the legend was that that's the, that's the goblet Jesus lifted up in the upper room. Every one of us is on a kind of Arthurian quest for the Holy Grail. That's what they call that chalice. That hope for, long for, dream for, picture of the good life, the realm of human flourishing that we pursue without ceasing. Everybody driven to find the kingdom of human flourishing, to be the very best that we have longed for. We live in a world of magi, seekers, looking for a kingdom, maybe subconsciously looking for the king of the kingdom, all of us. Verse 1 again, and after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come, we have come to worship him. You see, these magi have chanced upon a prediction from one of their own, a member of the ancient order named Balaam. They came across this line on the screen for you, Numbers chapter 24, a star will come out of Jacob and a scepter will rise out of Israel. Is this the harbinger of the promised king? And so they set out. Desire of Ages slips behind the veil of their inner thinking Put the words on the screen for you. The light of God is ever shining amid the darkness of heathenism. Now, today we'd say secularism. We'd say, we'd say uh, uh, paganism. The light of God ever in that darkness. As these magi studied the starry heavens and sought to fathom the mystery hidden in their bright paths, they beheld the glory of the Creator. The magi had welcomed the light of heaven-sent truth in their search of Hebrew scriptures but here's a fascinating line. Now it was shed upon them in brighter rays. Here it comes. Through dreams, they were instructed to go in search of the newborn prince. You know what? This is a provocative reminder. 
you have to admit that God is willing to tap every arsenal he has to connect with a man, to connect with a woman, to connect, to connect with a nation. And he uses dreams. I, I sit on the board of an organization that just put up a massive billboard outside of Detroit, the largest Arab populace, population in America, all right? A big billboard, and on the billboard, these words. If in your dreams you have seen a man dressed in white, call this toll-free number, and the number is there. What's going on? We're finding out that in the Islamic world, across the Islamic world, dreams are beginning to point to somebody, a man dressed in white. Would it bother you if God showed up to the politicians of the day and somehow makes a play for their minds and their loyalty? I mean, you want to talk about the president of the United States? You want to talk about the president of China? Uh, what is it, the G20 down in Argentina right now? Take any of those leaders, UK prime minister, Germany's prime minister, what does it matter? He's not, he's not going to show up to politicians. We all know how godless politicians are. Oh, really? Wasn't there, a godless, wasn't there a godless governor once, a Roman governor, whose wife was given a dream from the man in white? If God could, if God could reach Pilate through a dream and his spouse, fair game. We dismiss our leaders too quickly. And I was glad to hear Pastor John pray for our leaders, the leaders of this nation. We're not about political ideology and loyalty now. We're about the salvation of the human race. Seekers. What's so revealing to me in the story of the Magi is the profound links God goes to to save one individual, one nation, like Herod. Watch this. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Listen, if, you're, if you consider yourself the king of the Jews and you hear uh, the, king, the real king of the Jews has been born, are you on red alert? Of course you are. So he's disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4, and when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where, where the Messiah was to be born. Oh, they said, verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written, Micah chapter 5, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Then Herod called, shh, he calls the Magi to him, and he finds out from them the exact time the star has appeared. When was that baby born? Verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, wink, wink, go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, I want you to report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Desire ages again on the screen. Because the wise men go. Could God have saved Herod, by the way, before Desire of Ages? Could God have saved Herod? Do you know what? This is Herod the Great. The day is coming when the great-grandson of Herod the Great will be sitting in a courtroom and listening to the testimony, the testimony of a man named Paul who will eloquently lay out a case for the fledgling religion called Christianity. And when, the, when Paul finishes his defense, the great-grandson, Herod Agrippa number 2, will cry out, Almost you persuade me 
to become a Christian and God make a play for Herod himself he does <laughs> and after they had heard the king they went on their way this is verse 9 and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was, verse 10. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed because supernatural affirmation that they're not on a wild goose chase. This is a mission they've been sent on. Verse 10, and when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And verse 9, and on coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now desire of ages on the screen. Beneath the lowly guise of Jesus, they recognized the presence of divinity. They gave their hearts to him as their savior. We're talking about pagan seekers. But they sense this is the divine one. They give their hearts to him as their Savior, and then poured out their gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. What a faith was theirs. It might have been said of the wise men from the east, as afterward of the Roman centurion, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel, end quote. Put that line up on the screen again. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold. Three gifts. Gift number one, the coinage of kings. You've got to admit, this is, this is a, a, a beautifully meaningful moment. I mean, here are these pagan seekers, faces to the ground, worshiping the child before them. They open their treasure caskets. The gold spills out before the baby. And little did they know that while they have given their gold to this one they consider king, he has given his gold to them. A gift fit for a king, absolutely. But as it turns out, it's a gift straight from the king. I want to end with the, the Christmas story as told in Revelation. It's just a one-liner, a simple little line. But watch this. Talking about a gift exchange. Revelation chapter 12, Bible's last book, the Apocalypse, Christmas story. Verse 5, and she gave birth to a son, and may a child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. That's a messianic prophecy. He's going to be the king. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. That's it. That's the Christmas story in Revelation. But go back. Just turn back a few pages to uh, chapter 3. Revelation 3, bright red letters. Obviously, these are the words of Jesus. Revelation 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now drop down to verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me, what's the gift? I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Isn't that incredible? What the wise men, what the magi give to the Christ child. That same Christ child, when he grows up and ascends eventually to the throne of the universe, returns as a gift to all who seek him. Solid gold. What's that line again? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you may become rich. It's kind of a 
God speak line, isn't it? Buy from me that which is free. I mean, how can you buy something and call it free? How can you call it a gift when I've purchased it? And yet when God speaks, that's the way he talks. There's something so priceless about this gift that it's free. In fact, let me put uh, Isaiah chapter 55, same God speaking the same way. Verse 1 in the Old Testament. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. I mean, how can you buy? I'm penniless. No, 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 no. Without money and without cost means you'll never have enough money to buy it, and so I'll never charge you a penny to have it. In other words, what is priceless is free. Solid gold. The solid gold of Christ Jesus himself. I'm reading a book right now. Title of the book, Wounded in the House of His Friends. It's written by Ron Duffield. In the book he tells of when in in, in December 1891 that short little five foot three inch American writer named Ellen White has landed in Australia. She's thinking about the friends she's left behind in America. As she speaks, December 19th, she speaks to a group in Melbourne. And these are her words. Put it on the screen for you. She describes how this solid gold comes from Jesus. On the screen. Jesus did not seek you and me because we were his friends. He didn't say, well, you know, we've been friends for a long time. I'll go die for her. I'll die for him. No, 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 no. Jesus did not seek you and me because we were his friends, for we were estranged from him and unreconciled to God. It was while we were yet sinners, quoting Romans 5, it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. If Jesus were to show up right now, in front of you, in front of me, as we're worshiping God at this moment in his house, if he, was, if he were to stand on the other side of your music stand or on the other side of your pew and he, he reaches out with a universal gesture of give me your hand and he would reach out and you would you know, tremblingly place your hand in his. When his sleeve goes back, you'll see a purple scar and realize his body is covered with purple scars. Not just on his wrists, not just in his side, his feet. His whole back was lacerated and has healed purple. And even holding his hand, I suppose, we would struggle to grasp the immensity of what those scars represent. That he hanging on that cross crying out into the the darkness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That he hanging on that cross was willing to die, get this, he was willing to die forever so that you and I could live forever and ever. I'll leave forever if you let Dwight home forever. I mean, how do you comprehend that? It's the gospel. The magnitude, the wonder of it all. She goes on and uh, talking to that group in Melbourne on the screen, but Jesus has promised to give us his Holy Spirit. 
The one gift that brings every other gift with it. The one gift. You ask for the Holy Spirit every single morning. You get every gift in the treasury of heaven. He, Jesus, has promised to give us his Holy Spirit that we might become assimilated to his nature, changed into his image. Now, here it comes. By faith. See? By with no money. By faith and love. That's the gold. The precious, beautiful attributes of our Redeemer. And by the way, it's Jesus' faith that you buy. You don't buy your own faith. You're not saved by your own faith. It's Jesus' faith that saves you. You're not saved by your, saved by your own love and affection for, for the God of the universe. It's His love and affection for you. By faith. By the solid gold. The beautiful attributes of our Redeemer. And then she ends that little talk. Oh, shall we not open the heart's door to this heavenly visitor and let him in? So here's the deal. Now sit down. What if this Christmas, what if this Christmas we, you and I, decided to go for the solid gold of Jesus himself? That's what he gives. He says, you come to me. That's what I'll give. Priceless. Buy it for free. He said, Dwight, come on, give me a gift. Give me a gift where I could get the solid gold of Jesus this Christmas and into the new year. I'm going to give you that gift right now. And by the way, it's free. There's nothing wrong with asking for a gift. Let's ask Jesus for this one. You have to have a smartphone for this gift. Most of you have the app already on, and so I'm just going to go straight to it. Let's put it on the screen. You need to have this app, and you'll see where we're going. You see the version app up on the screen? You already have version on your uh, smartphone, I'm sure. Okay? So here's what you do. You don't have it, just go to your app store. Android, Apple, it doesn't matter. Here's what you do. This is really cool. You can do this with the version. There are probably other apps that you can do it with as well. So anyway, I'm, I'm going to do it right here in front of you so, so you can know that it works. So you, you tap the brown Bible, and it opens it up. All right? Then you look down at the bottom of the page, and it'll say, it'll say read, all right? So you hit read. It'll take you to any Bible passage you wish. So you type in a Bible passage. And then up at the top, you see this little sound icon, little sound icon? You tap that. Watch. Here's what happens. There's something else. You ready? Okay. The vine and the branches. Chapter 15. It's on the message. I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me. Make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Isn't that cool? That is absolutely cool. You have the app anywhere. You got to have earbuds. And you don't do this in the middle of class. You just, you leave the earbuds in your pocket. But in the middle of the day, you see, I got to connect, I got to connect with Jesus. And by the way, when you use the version, don't go to the Old Testament uh, and the rest of the New Testament. Begin, concentrate on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
You just, I would suggest you just work one story at a time, work your way through the gospel. When you get to the end of that gospel, go to the next. But always hit the little icon, the sound icon at the top. Put your earbuds in. And you know what? While you're listening, I'm telling you, the spirit of the living God is talking to you while you're listening to the words of Scripture. Some people think, look, you have to read the Bible to get the blessing out of it. Wrong. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed are those who hear the word. You got to have the app. You have to have the app. But you got a smartphone, you got an app. You can hear him speaking to you. And the Holy Spirit will be. He'll be in that electronic transmission. He'll be behind it. He'll say, yo, girl, did you catch that? Boy, did you hear what I'm telling you? There'll be times when you tears will trickle down your cheeks. Why? Because something he said was so personal. And you were listening to him. That's all. It's a free gift. There's nothing wrong with asking for gifts for Christmas, is there? You want solid gold? You want to go deeper and deeper and deeper with Jesus than you've ever been before? I want to tell you something. When you go deeper and deeper, there's, there's stuff that happens that can never happen until you're down there. And you can be 19 and get down there. You can be 20 and get down there. It's not a matter of age. It's a matter of desire. Blessed are those who hear. Get yourself the app for free for Christmas. You know why? Because you're the other wise men. That's why. You're the other wise woman. You say, how do you know, Dwight? I know because you're here. You wouldn't be here. You would not be here if you weren't a wise man. I want to end with a letter. Got it from my friend Bob Butts. He's a longtime member of our parish. I suppose he's in his 80s. He's in a, 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 a home, a care home. And he sent me the letter. I recognized his, I recognized his handwriting on the outside. So I ripped the, letter, I, I ripped the envelope open, and I see at the top, I said, oh, this, looks, this, this must be hotel stationery. Have you ever done that, stayed in a hotel room and taken the stationery home and used it? It's, it's for that. You can, it's okay. It's not illegal. So I said, Bob, is, why is he writing me a letter on this? Because it looks like a, like a hotel. And then I drop down, and, and it says, private and confidential. Private and confidential. Why would Bob be sending me a letter that's private and confidential? So I'm expecting it to read, Dear Dwight, but it reads instead, Dear Mr. Butts. Oh, good night. This is, a, this, this is a letter to Bob. He just sent me a photocopy of it. Okay. I should first like to apologize for the length of time it has taken us to reply to your letter. The last several months have been extremely busy for this office, and we have consequently been unable to reply as quickly as we should have liked to. That sounds very formal kind of English to me. It must be a form letter or something. Then I get to the second paragraph. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge have asked me to thank you. The Duke and du Duchess of Cambridge? Do you know who they are? Now, I told everybody in first service they were Harry and Meghan. People lined up the door to correct me afterwards. <laughs> they are not Harry and Meghan. They are William and Kate, the future king of England. They just had a baby named Louis, and Bob must have written them 
and sent a gift because they're thanking him. The Duchess, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, am I making this up? The Duke and the Duchess of Cambridge have asked me to thank you for their kind letter and gift. I'm thinking, what would Bob send to them? Their Royal Highnesses, T-R-H, that's what it stands for. Their Royal Highnesses are most grateful to you for taking the trouble to send in the book 100 Favorite Bible Verses. You go, Bob. I mean, you go. Did any of you send that book to him? We didn't even think about it, did we? But here's a guy in in, in retirement home, full-time care, and he says, I want to send something to celebrate the birth of Prince Louis. It was really most thoughtful of you. And the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge have asked me to send you their warmest thanks and best wishes. <laughs> hugs and kisses. No, it doesn't say hugs and kisses. It says, <laughs> this, is, this is English. This is British. Yours sincerely, Claudia Spence. Isn't that amazing? Hey, listen, guys. Royalty. Oh, and by the way, what I thought, what I thought was a hotel, it's Kensington Palace. <laughs> I thought it was a hotel. A new chain. Oh, my. We're talking about royalty, folks. Kensington Palace. When the Magi bow before the Christ child, they worship him as king. He is royalty, king of kings and lord of lords. And it is in his presence that we have gathered to worship today. But I have good news for you. When you follow the wise man's example and you bow down to worship the same king, You will not get a letter from the palace secretary. When you bow down to worship him, guess what? There will be a knock at your door. And when you go to the door, there will be the highest royalty in the universe standing there with a smile on his face saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me knocking and my voice, open the door and I'll come into you And we will spend the day together. Good news, ladies and gentlemen. Solid gold. You can give him the little that you give him, but the gift exchange is incredible. He gives you himself every day that you open that door, listen to his voice through your earbuds, and say, come on in today.